0: We have one place that we call the S-turn, and there's probably, on a good uh, sunny day, uh, you might see 100 gators. Yeah, and winter is really the best time to see gators sunning because the water's cool, and you might have a 65-degree day that they'll haul themselves up, you know, out onto the bank. Um, And there's some real stunners, you know, 10, 11-footers, some really
1: big ones. That was Mark Benson describing just another day at the office gators golf and fly fishing today on the wet fly swing fly fishing show welcome to the wet fly swing fly fishing show where you discover tips tricks and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today we'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing fly tying and much more hey how's it going everyone thanks for stopping by the fly fishing show in today's episode i talk with mark benson who breaks down shad fishing aka the poor man's tarpon Mark talks about the similarities between shad and steelhead the St. John's River and the $10 raw that's perfect for shad don't miss this one as Mark describes what it's like to go alligator hunting so without further ado here's Mark Benson from the Ritz-Carlton how's it going Mark?
0: Great, Dave. Thank you very much for the opportunity.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on. We're going to have a little conversation about shad today, and um, you know, talk about how you got to where you are. I think you do a little bit of both, some spin, some fly, a little bit of everything. But we can talk in, you know, talk about that. But um, maybe before we get digging deep to, to shad fishing, you can talk about how you first got into fly fishing.
0: Sure. Well, I uh, I was fortunate. I think like a lot of guys, uh, their dads. Um, You know, probably got them started, and uh, same here. My dad uh, was a big sportsman, and uh, when I was uh, just a kid, three or four years old, uh, he uh, started taking me fishing, believe it or not, here in uh, central Florida, where I live, and I caught my first fish at four, and then got my first fly rod when I was 10. (laughs) So between four and 10, uh, somewhere in there, I started reading a lot of magazines like uh, Field and Stream, Outdoor Life. Uh, There weren't too many Florida-centered magazines, so a lot of the stuff that I was reading was coming from up north, and uh, there was always stuff about fly fishing. So I got real excited about that. It was something unique, something different, and it was something that my dad really wasn't into, so of course I had to to be better than him and try something different. So I got my first fly rod when I was 10 and uh, took off from there.
1: Wow. So, so that, okay. So basically I didn't realize you've been fly fishing since the the very beginning, which will be cool to, to dig in, uh, dig into a little bit. I, I did. You just noted, um, you know, Florida, I guess, you know, this is a kind of a hot topic now just because the, the hurricanes kind of blasted through that area recently. It, did they kind of miss Florida for the most part?
0: They did. We were very fortunate. And, uh, my hat's off to the uh, meteorologists. They were calling, um, calling some great shots, fairly uh fairly far out as far as uh the broadcasting or forecasting so uh we were really fortunate the uh, hurricane did take a turn like they had predicted a few days out and it just skirted uh the coast we actually here in central florida had uh less wind and rain than we do for a normal summer thunderstorm oh wow so yeah we're very fortunate
1: that's crazy and and i don't uh, get into politics too often here but uh is it true that uh the the hurricane was headed towards alabama
0: Uh, You know, the the (laughs) initial reports, yeah, absolutely. It looked like it was going to cross through the peninsular Florida and then go into the uh, the Gulf. No kidding. Uh, Yeah, and then curve back. So everything we were seeing eight or nine days out, uh, you know, showed it going through Florida. And then it started moving slowly back towards the east with it still coming through Orlando. And then um, as more data started coming in, uh, there was a uh, slight cool front, I guess, or dry front that was pushing down. So it actually spared us and pushed it farther off coast. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, it could have easily come through the state and then turned and then gone back up to the Northeast.
1: Have you had a few of those storms? Have you ever been involved in, in the middle of some of that over the years? I have,
0: yeah. yeah. You know, I grew up here, so, right, uh, you know, for it. quite a, I'm sorry.
1: Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you've seen some, some big storms then.
0: Yeah, we've been pretty fortunate. Uh, really, the biggest uh, year for us here in Central Florida was back in 2004 when we had Charlie Francis and Jean come through. Uh, within about six weeks, three hurricanes. So that was uh, uh, that was pretty tough. We were out of power for nine days here in Central Florida, which wow. you know compared to what people in uh, Mexico Beach, up in the Panhandle, and the Bahamas are going through, it's you know pretty insignificant. But um, Tell my wife that it was pretty hot. <laughs> That's right.
1: No, I had a, um, we had a similar conversation, I uh, had flip Pallet on in a past episode and he talked about, I can't remember which, which, I think it was hurricane Andrew. He was describing, but how he was in the middle of it and, and held tight and the, the hurricane blew his house away while, while they were inside it and somehow they survived. It was a pretty amazing story.
0: Yeah. You know, I know Flip and Diane and what they went through back in 92 was uh, was unbelievable down in the Homestead area. Yeah. And uh, that's when he pulled the plug and came up here to central Florida.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. He said that. Yeah. So
0: it it, uh, was the beginning of the end end for him down in uh, South Florida.
1: There you go. Well, that's and I asked him that question. I said, so what what, you know, have you ever thought about leaving Florida altogether? Is that something that you've uh, you've ever thought about?
0: Um, you know, it's funny you ask, I, uh, you know, I grew up here in central Florida and I've seen a lot of changes, uh, especially here in the central Florida, Orlando area. Um, so it's, it's really rapidly changing. You know, this was who I was and who I am. I, I grew up fishing and hunting and surfing and skiing. I'm looking out the window right now at the lake that I caught my first fish on. Uh, I was fortunate enough a few years back to be able to move on to the lake. Never had that opportunity before. Didn't grow up on the lake. And um, I told my wife, if this house isn't enough to keep us here in Florida, I don't know what is. You know, With uh, the water quality issues, some of the stuff that's happening over at the coast, uh, I'm sure your listeners as well as you are are well aware. Um, I didn't think in my lifetime I would see it turn this badly so quickly. And I grew up with um, Lake Apopka, which I don't know if you are familiar with that lake. It's a... Pretty large lake here, just on the west side of uh, of Orlando. That um, was one of the top bass fishing lakes in the country back in the '50s. And because of a big agricultural interest up on the north end of the lake, uh, pumping a lot of uh, phosphorus and nitrogen, uh-huh. you know, fertilizers as well as heavy metals, pesticides right. back into the lake, the lake crashed, and uh, its final gasps were back in the '70s. So you can't see six inches into the lake. And it is uh, full of muck Mm. and it's a nightmare. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, attempts at uh, at trying to mitigate that damage and and, um, restore it. But uh, Mm. we'll never see that in my lifetime. And now with the things that are happening in the Everglades, as well as coastal Florida and the Indian River Lagoon system, um, you know, people are looking for quick fixes it doesn't seem like anybody's really that interested in fixing it. Mm-hmm. There's no a, a lot of lip service, but yeah, um, it's it's difficult.
1: Right. And you know? so how do you balance that and deal with that as a guide, as you see? Do you just go to different areas, or how, how, how do you stay in business there?
0: Well, you know, I grew up fishing lakes. And then when I turned 16, I started fishing over at the coast and then uh, got my captain's license about 25 years ago, and I was guiding over in the coast, uh, intercoastal. Uh, the Indian River Lagoon system, and I started to see more pressure. Um, you couldn't help but notice some water quality issues. In 2012, it really started to manifest itself in a really bad algae bloom, uh, but was uh, just seasonal. And then in the last couple of years, it's become pervasive. It's now pretty much brown or, or really dark-colored water. And we lost about 80% of our seagrass beds. Mm-hmm. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall, and uh, I moved my guiding interests inland. So I went actually to uh, – I've got a pretty unique situation. I'm the director of fly fishing for the Ritz-Carlton here in Orlando. Mm-hmm. So I'm now guiding on property. We have a 500-acre property with 11 lakes and ponds, and we manage it for trophy bass. Oh,
1: wow.
0: So you know, it's all catch and release. And we have feeders feeding our bait fish, so we have a real healthy forage population for our bass. So I've I've really moved away from the coast and uh, have come back to my freshwater roots here in Central Florida.
1: No kidding. So so is that it mean is that kind of the answer that have some big uh, powerful private in, uh, companies that are able to buy up and protect some of the waters around there? Is that, is that a legitimate way to go forward? No, nah,
0: I don't think so. I think, no. you know, this is pretty unique in yeah. what we have here. Um, I'm just moving back away from the coast and um, there's still fish and fishing going on over there. It's just really difficult for someone like me who grew up seeing it at its very best and now yeah. watching how bad it is. And, the opportunities are still there. You can go through the motions. But what's really disconcerting, the people that have never seen it at its best think that what we have now is the new normal. Yeah. And right. they just have no clue. Yep.
1: Nah, so
0: that. it's, um, yeah, it's uh, pretty disappointing. And we've got lots of those issues. Uh, you know, we're the third largest state, our most populous state, uh, right after California and okay. Texas.
1: Jeez.
0: Yeah. So. I think uh, I heard something just recently like 600,000 people are moving to Florida every year. Yeah. And we have some huge infrastructure issues with wastewater treatment plants not keeping up oh, with uh, wastewater. And uh, there's, through the power of the internet, we hear more about these accidental dumpings, which really aren't accidental. Mm-hmm. There's no way that you turn a valve by accident no. and you dump raw untreated sewage Damn. into beautiful lagoon system but yeah it's not all gloom and doom i mean nature is pretty resilient and i think you know if we just stop kicking it while it's down
1: there's yeah. a chance that you know so she'll come what what are the right now what do you see as, as the pod the, the other end of that what are the positives as far as the fisheries that you're involved with
0: um people are really starting to pay attention to catch and release uh we've kind of got the uh fishing games year, especially down in Southwest Florida, where they put a moratorium on keeping snook, uh, trout, and I think redfish as well. So it's, um, uh, it's still reactive as far as how they manage, but, uh, they're quicker to react. And, uh, unfortunately they're not reacting yet over here on the East coast where we do most of uh, our saltwater fishing over in the Indian river mosquito lagoon system. um, but the pressure, I think, has gone down dramatically as well. So mm. there's, um, you know, still quite a few people fishing, but it wasn't as, or it's not as crazy as it was back in the early 2000s.
1: Yeah, I hear you. Okay. Well, no, you, and you mentioned a few other species there, redfish and. We've uh, talked about some of those on the podcast here, but today I was going to hopefully you know get into shad fishing, and that's one that I know you um, you focus on a bit. Can you maybe just start talk about what your home water is where you catch shad, and, and maybe just dig into a little bit how you you know how you get into them there?
0: Sure. Well, we uh we're the most southern population of the American shad, and we have uh, uh, the Saint John's River, which is about 300 miles long. It starts near the the melbourne area and then travels or flows north up to jacksonville and there's about a 35 or 40 mile section where the water is uh very shallow uh and uh it's a narrow channel where you can uh, practically cast across it in most places and that's where the american shad like to spawn they want to have a current and they uh they move up into uh, our waters starting as early as November, but really it doesn't start taking off until January, February, which are the, the really two major months that uh, we focus on them. Um, they uh, are kind of an insignificant fish for most people here in uh in Florida, you know, everybody's looking at tarpon and mm-hmm. offshore species and stalking bonefish and things like that. But it's as close as you can be to a trout or steelhead fisherman without leaving the state. <laughs> a lot of the same techniques. We do uh, everything from single hand swinging to uh, I've gotten into spay casting or switch, yep. uh, which is uh, absolutely fun. <laughs> it's a joy. So much easier. Um, and it's just really a, a pleasure to do
1: that's you know i love that you, you mentioned the steelhead trout because that's a good chunk of the people that listen to this you know definitely have either steelhead fish or you know want to get into it eventually so it's cool to hear that shad are you know the the similarities there and i obviously the life history is similar uh, with their migration from the ocean you know can you talk a little bit about what else makes shad unique i mean and how big how big do they get what's the fight like Maybe you can talk a little bit about that
0: Sure, well, we have uh, the smallest of the American shad uh, the world 's record is a little over eleven pounds, and that was caught up out of the Delaware River. Our state record shad, American shad, is a little over five pounds, but we also have another shad as well, the Hickory shad, which is predominantly found in the southeast of the United States. Uh, we do have the world's record, Hickory Shad, which is kind of uh, interesting to to see where we have. The biggest hickory, but yet we don't have the largest of the American. Hmm. And then we have a third fish, uh, blueback herring, which are really small. Uh, they come in as well. So all three species are anadromous. They all live in the ocean for the majority of their lives. And then they run upstream when uh, conditions are right. And they come right here into our backyard. And, yeah, you know, I've, I've got to go back and, and say that I'm a fish guy. So I grew up fishing, but then uh, I started Having aquariums when I was about eight years old. And I got my first job at SeaWorld when I was 15. And two years after getting my job at SeaWorld, I got a a summer internship for the aquarium department where they ended up keeping me on because I could back up a trailer, I could scuba dive, I could catch fish. And I've always been a fish person, so I've really loved the whole story, not just catching them, but the mystery of. You know where they come from how they live and the american shad out of all the species we have here in florida is is really fascinating the fact that they live in the ocean the majority of their lives and no one's really 100 sure where they go and then they make the run-up from uh, jacksonville and they swim about 300 miles upstream right into uh, our backyard so one day one day they're avoiding sharks And a week later, they're in the middle of alligators and cow pasture.
1: (laughs) How how long are they in the ocean for, on average? So it
0: takes typically about four years for them to reach maturity before they come back into uh, the river to spawn. So it's always fascinating to look back at the uh, records and see, like, 2010, we had a tremendous freeze here in Florida that uh, uh, actually killed bonefish all the way down to the Keys. But we lost— all sorts of exotic fish, which we can talk about later, that uh, I think uh, have an impact on the shad when they lay their eggs. So it knocked back a lot of these exotics. And then four years later, we had, in 2014, one of the best uh, shad runs uh, probably in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm.
1: No kidding. And when you have a good shad run, what, what's it, what's a day like when you go out there? Do you, and do you typically start fish when the sun's off the water, or does it matter?
0: No, we're pretty unique. In most other places in the country, shad fishing is usually at low light, uh, so uh, at dawn or at um, um, at sunset. Uh, our fishing usually takes place more in the middle of the day, and the reason for that is our water is pretty, pretty tannic-stained. Yeah. So it's hard for them to really see in uh, super low light conditions. Um, you know, the, mm-hmm. the flies that we're using are the lures. hmm
1: and, and what uh, what's a typical fly? Can you describe a, a pattern or a name or something that we might fi- find out there?
0: You know, they look like a kind of an anemic, uh, crazy Charlie, mm. really. Uh, different colors, but uh, I think it's more profile than it is the actual color. I don't think that uh, color is paramount. Um, people used to think that uh, color changes would make a difference, but uh, what I'm seeing is over time, throughout the day, you know, there's pulses of fish that are swimming through different pools. And if the fishing slows down, I think it's more an indication that they're moving through and heading further upstream to spawn. Uh, And so it's not so much the fly that has changed uh, that you that you need to change to get more strikes. I think it's more the fish just passing through.
1: Mm, I see. Okay. And before we jump into some of the more of the tips on Chad, you, you mentioned SeaWorld. What what was that? Um what, what'd you learn from that position? were you there quite a while?
0: I was there ten years and uh, it was a fantastic experience. I had a great time. This was back in the uh in the eighties and we had um compared to the uh, aquarium uh techniques today, it was pretty uh pretty crude back then. But we had uh, some really terrific exhibits, and it really taught me a lot about uh, um, keeping fish, keeping uh, um, you know going out and collecting things like that. It, it was a wonderful experience. Great people, and uh, I still stay in touch with a lot of those people who are around the world. And some of them are pretty uh, prominent marine biologists in other aquariums.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. And then and then from there you transitioned into the uh, the Ritz Carlton position.
0: No, actually, I uh, worked at a fish hatchery uh, for a couple of years, and then I uh, worked for a large aquaculture and uh, lake aeration company for 14 years. So Mm. I've always kind of been a biologist uh, with uh, my heart being in the fishing side of it.
1: Nice. Um, And and now you're fully in on the fishing side.
0: That's it, 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Right on. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, let's take us, I guess we're talking, uh, if we're looking at the St. John's for an example, can you just take us to the river and talk about how you get into fish and, and what a typical day is like there fishing for shad?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So depending on the water level, and it's uh, really important to uh, to follow how our levels are, the uh, river during the rainy season almost turns into a large lake. So it could be as mi- wide as two or three miles wide. With hardly any flow whatsoever. And then as we start getting closer to uh, to the winter, we start getting away from the rainy season and the river starts to recede. As it does, it uh, is pretty much squeegeeing uh, baitfish, shrimp. We have a freshwater shrimp called a paleomonetes shrimp. And then small mosquito fish called gambusia. So they're up in these spartina flats uh, that are miles wide. And as the river drops... All this food comes down into the channel, and when the river reaches a certain level, uh, about four and a half or five feet on uh, the USGS gauge, then we know that our conditions are perfect, and we have the velocity for the actual spawning act as well as the velocity for keeping the eggs clean. So once the eggs are fertilized, they drop down to the bottom, and if you've ever seen an old washboard road, you know, mm-hmm. like a sandy road, yeah. that's pretty much what the bottom of the St. Johns River looks oh, like yeah. in the area where they spawn. Yeah, it's a real hard sand, which, you know, Florida used to be a big sand dune or beach uh, as it started to recede from the ocean. So those eggs drop down to the bottom, and they've got to have uh, a certain amount of flow to stay clean so they're not suffocated by detritus or, or muck or what have you. So, those areas where there's a fast enough flow, that's where we target the fish. So, I'll drop my boat in and I typically run upstream a few miles and then work my way back towards the ramp throughout the day. And what I'm looking for on a good year are uh, actually turns, birds feeding on the small bait fish and shrimp. And then I start looking for fish that are actively feeding, uh, coming up and going after those uh, bait fish, the gambusia and the, uh, and the shrimp. Uh, There's been a huge misconception and it's been perpetuated for years that uh, two things, that our American shad die immediately after spawning and two, that they don't feed when they're in the river, which is contrary to any other shad anywhere else in the the country, both East Coast as well as West Coast. So I think uh, people really don't seem to fully understand it because they only spend a few weeks out there right at the very middle or at the peak of the the season for fishing. Uh, The river itself can be uh, pretty intimidating as far as getting around with braided channels and limited visibility sometimes with really high vegetation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they they pretty much go to the same spots, kind of where the X is, where all their buddies go, (laughs) and they really don't spend a lot of time poking around the river. So I've got a pretty unique boat. I've always had, uh, duck boats where we have those surface driver, long tail, um, air cooled motors, which, uh, kind of the poor man's airboat Mm -hmm. allows us to really get around. So I spent a lot of time out there and I, I try to figure out what's going on and what they're thinking and, you know, why it all works, you know, the way it does.
1: What was the type of boat again?
0: Uh, so they're, we've referred to them as duck boats or mud boats. Mm-hmm. So these are large, like, John boats with uh, mud buddy motors or surface drive motors. So if you've ever seen the um, alligator hunters on TV down in Louisiana, uh-huh. they have those big military-looking uh, uh, motors on the back of the boat that aren't oh, yeah. outboards. They're, they're uh, like big Briggs and Strattons or Hondas or Kohlers. Uh, so they're air-cooled so they don't… Uh, then it require a water pump and we can run through some pretty thick stuff and run across sandbars and things like that. So it really opens up a lot more water for me to get around. Whereas a a conventional outboard would uh, bottom out.
1: Right. Or the airboats, which are just way more expensive. Is that the deal?
0: Uh, They, uh, you know, they're wonderful tools in the right hand, but uh, they're pretty noisy.
1: noisy, uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. They kind of break down a lot. There's, you know, and I'm probably going to catch flack for that, but uh, <laughs> they look I don't think they have...
1: <laughs> they look, well, they look funny and they look cool at the same time.
0: They're a lot of fun. I've got friends with them and um, I have been, actually, Flip has been trying to get me to get one for years. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, Flip runs the river out there in his little grass boat, which is uh, unique in this area. It's more of an Everglades-style boat. Oh. And yeah, he's been trying to get me to get one so we can run together. I just, uh, I'm just not ready to break down all the time.
1: Yeah. So, so is alligator? I mean, are, are there still? Have you ever been out alligator hunting?
0: I have. As a matter of fact, season just opened. I did not apply this year, uh-huh. um, but yeah, I've hunted in the past for them. They,
1: uh, what, what's that like? I mean, can you take us to a, an alligator hunt real quickly?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's not anything like you uh, you see on TV, like in Louisiana. We're not allowed to shoot them with rifles. Uh, way too many people. You would skip a bullet into somebody's house, or right. maybe a boat, but. Uh, uh, back in the old days, you could apply for a permit and, uh, harvest 15 alligators. Now it's down to two. So it's, if you're a local or resident, it's a $250 quota permit and then two $10 tags that are, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. They're referred to as the CITES, C-I-T-E-S tags. So you get those and then, uh, you're limited to a specific geographic region, sometimes just a particular lake. And, uh, you can harpoon catch with a rod and reel you can snag with a rod and reel you can also uh shoot them with a bow and arrow <laughs> but eventually everything ends up being harpooned so that you have a, a strong attachment to them mm-hmm. and then you use a bang stick to uh to kill them
1: hmm. right, and then man. you
0: have a 300 a, pound dead lizard i was gonna
1: say is, is there a size limit or is it uh, like do people go for only the big ones or I think, uh, you know, it's funny. I,
0: I don't even know what the small size is. Uh, you, it might be four foot or something. I'm not yeah. even sure. No one, uh, very few people, I think, would ever even settle for a four for. footer. But and is
1: this a tro- is this like a, a tr- kind of a people aren't really eating these things? This is more of a trophy mounted sort of thing?
0: Yeah, people are eating them. It's uh, typically what you do, though, is you uh, you sell it to a processor. So they buy the skin as well as uh, the meat. So they give you a, a per foot price um so you really don't get anything uh, uh if you if you do that unless you ask for the meat or buy back the meat so you gotcha yeah i'm uh i'd rather have a nice steak or lobster after a night of gator hunting
1: yeah yeah than, exactly uh, and a gator <laughs> yeah okay cool well let's uh yeah just get back to the uh the shad here so so you were just talking about you know I guess if we if we're on the river here and are, now, are you fishing typical? Like you're out, you're waiting and swinging these the flies down through runs, like you would steelhead fishing.
0: I see some guys waiting. I, I discourage that. There's a lot of alligators, even oh, though good, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, even though it's primarily winter. There's a section of the river that we fish south of State Road 50, and if you look on a map or Google Earth, uh, you look for Orlando and then you look for the Cape, Cape Kennedy, and About two-thirds of the way from Orlando over to uh, the coast, there's a river, and that's the St. John's. And on State Road 50 south, no gator hunting is allowed, and uh, there's a lot of airboat tours that uh, take tourists out to see the gators. It's very impressive. Even as a Floridian that grew up here, there are a tremendous amount of gators in that section. Uh, Never had any problems with them. Uh, They're pretty much more scared of us than we are of them. Yep. But you don't want to stumble across one. So we, we typically fish from the bank uh, or we uh, we fish from the boats. And I've got a G3. It's a large 18-foot John boat that I've had the front deck extended. And the river is slow enough in flow that we can anchor from the stern, which you wouldn't want to do anywhere else um, in case something happened and you took a transom, you know, water over the transom. All oh, right. But uh, we can cast off the front, and uh, uh, it's as seriously as close as you can get to steelhead fishing. Hmm. Um, it uh, you know, It's quarter cast across the current. Keep the rod tip down and then let it swing, and hopefully you're dragging it in front of noses of fish that are uh, uh, stacked up maybe in a seam or just in a, uh, a wide area where there's a lot of current. Hmm. Uh, sometimes, and the water depth can go from anywhere between – three and a half or four feet to maybe six feet. So it's fairly shallow. Uh, And then plenty of times those fish come right up to the surface as well. So you'll have uh, those small gambusia, the little minnow-looking things, um, up on the surface, maybe in a uh, little seam where you have two currents coming together or something that's draining off of a, a big pasture or field or slough. So you have uh, kind of a holding area for that bait fish, and the shad will come up and whack them. And mm-hmm. they are eating. You know, I, yeah. one of the biologists here in Central Florida, um, uh, really great guy from FWC, has conceded that uh, they are finally feeding, or that they're recognizing that they're feeding. And he thinks that they're doing that just to go back or put the protein back into egg production. Mm-hmm. So the fish are here for a while. They uh, they don't do one batch spawn. They'll do uh, multiple batches, and they want to kind of spread all their eggs out over a period of a couple of weeks, just to ensure that uh, you know they they're getting some uh, reproduction
1: or, or uh, recruitment. Right. Okay. Uh, and they're coming. In, so you're you're targeting them be, as they're kind of stacking, staging up before just before they spawn. Yeah. So they're
0: they're spawning in the evenings. So we'll go out. Um, 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock or whatever noon and then um it's the nicest time of year to be out on the river you know we've got uh about eight months of incredibly hot muggy temperatures and then we have four months of just stunning beauty and that's really about the only time i like being out in the st john's uh no mosquitoes low humidity and you can fish all day in the evening and Mm. uh it's absolutely gorgeous, and there's hardly any, anybody out there. No That's the other
1: nice thing. So yeah. There's not many people doing it.
0: Uh, there are a couple of areas where it's easy for people to get to, so they all stack up there, and you can pretty much walk from boat to boat. Um, or you have to wear a helmet because everybody's fly casting oh, yeah. and chunking jigs and things like that with conventional gear. Uh, but then if you go another half a mile, uh, they uh, they start to peter out pretty quickly because they they're don't they not familiar with the water. Oh, right. And they, They don't feel like they need to run that far.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But you could travel many miles around and find your own spot up there.
0: Absolutely. There's at at perfect water level, there's probably uh, 20 miles of ideal um, uh, area to fish. Yep. So you you have good flow um, uh, and plenty of bends. Yeah. Most Mm -hmm. of our water that's fast enough to fish are typically coming out of a turn so it's accelerated or the water volume has been compressed into a corner and then it comes out and just downstream from those bends right. we have a uh, pretty good velocity
1: cool and as you're going up uh, back to the alligators are you guys seeing how many allig- alligators might you see in a typical day going up
0: there? well we we have one place that we call the s turn and there's probably on a good uh, sunny day uh you might see a hundred gators jeez yeah, and winter is wow. really the best time to see gators sunning because the water's cool, and you yeah. might have a sixty-five degree day that Jeez. they'll haul themselves up, you know, out onto the bank. Um, and there's some real stunners, you know, nice. 10, 11 footers, some really big ones. No kidding, wow, that's really yeah. cool.
1: Yeah, that's a whole nother show just talking about the gators, right? Their their life history, and <laughs> I'm sure that I, I would just guess that they're do they're probably doing pretty well. Am I am I right with all these? Absolutely. Things?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been a success program here in Florida. And it's funny, you know, when I think about where you guys live up in Oregon, West Coast, you know, I'm always asking about bears. So,
1: yep. I just saw a few bears myself this, this weekend. That's hilarious.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, same thing. Yeah. You're so used to it, and then, uh, I, you know, I live on a lake, and I see them swim by the dock in the morning, so
1: there you, go. Uh, there you go. not no, a big deal. Yeah, yeah, bears are for sure. I, well, depending where you're at, obviously, up in Alaska, there's some places where you'll see a heck of a lot, but um, no, it's good. I, I definitely um, love kind of digging into some of these little tangents, but, you know, I guess taking us back again, uh, you know, on the river with shad, so... So what is the, I mean, just the basic rod reel line setup that somebody would need to get going on this? And are, is it also something you could just do, I mean, if you knew somebody with a boat to go up there, is this something where you really need to get a guide?
0: Um, well, it would definitely help um, shorten kind of your, uh, your learning curve if you had somebody that could put you on the fish. But there are a couple of places, you know, if you do some searching on the Internet, um, there's a, a, a small river called the Econolock Hatchee River. It's an Indian name. We just call it the Econ that drains the eastern side of uh, Orlando. And that uh, flows into the St. John's River just upstream from a lake called Lake Harney. And at that confluence there, that's pretty much the uh, the X. That's where everybody goes when the shad are in. It's uh, pretty easy to find, and it's less than maybe a half a mile upstream from uh, from the bridge and the launch so that's a pretty easy place to get to Mm -hmm. but it's like working a tide at a uh, at an inlet Uh, depending upon the water level certain parts of the river fish better at certain water levels so that may be really good for a couple of weeks which most people that's all they do is fish for a couple of weeks and then they say that you know the run's over but we'll catch them all the way into uh, late april almost may and most people think it's over by the end of February. Hmm. So yeah. having uh, having local knowledge and understanding. And last year we had a really terrible year. We had uh, extremely low water levels. Uh, the fish didn't draw themselves all the way up into uh, uh, the normal spawning areas. Uh, so I think four years from now or three years from this year, we're going to have uh, uh, a weak year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might be surprised, but... Sure. Uh, uh, last year was, was really disappointing and that's, that's tough to stomach. It's like, you know, you wait all year for this time to be, you know, a steelhead fisherman, yep. Southern steelhead fisherman, mm-hmm. and then the conditions aren't there and you, you know, it's going to be a difficult year. Yeah. And you,
1: what, what is that like? I mean, what, what's a good day and what's a bad, bad day as far as kind of action fish numbers?
0: Uh, hundred fish days are not an uncommon when wow. they're really on. Yeah, and the key there, and I, I, really want to stress this. It's easy to stay in one hole and just start wearing them out. But you know, these are fish that are uh, that are coming here to spawn. They've already been stressed swimming upstream. Uh, they uh, they don't all die. I think a fair amount uh, make it back down to the ocean, uh, like they do in other parts of the country. Even though I, I touched on it earlier, that most people have been led to believe that they all die. Um, and I, I, urge everybody to use. Fairly heavy tackle. Five weights are, uh, are about as low or mm. as light as you want to get. Um, we've caught them on lighter rods just for the fight, but it really puts a lot of pressure on them, a lot of stress. They don't do well out of the water. Uh, it's a shad. You know, you look at them wrong sometimes and they die. <laughs> so using a net and then uh, fairly heavy tackle, they're not leader shy. Uh, you may have to go to a lighter leader just to get down deep. And we try not to use split shot or I don't even bother with sink tips because, mm-hmm. uh, the water really isn't moving that fast and it's not super deep We we'll just lengthen the leader and, um, and then maybe use a little bit heavier fly.
1: Okay. So, yeah. And, and if you were, I guess, in an area where there was some heavier current, say a different river, you probably, you do want to get down kind of close to the bottom for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I go up to Delaware to, uh, actually to the Delaware river, Lambertville, New Jersey, and I fish with a friend of mine up there. He's a famous shad guide, but he's not a fly fisherman. He's uh, using what's normal up there, and that's um, heavy, kind of uh, like downriggers or little oh, yeah. heavy planers to get down. Yep. Little spoons. Water's about nine or ten feet deep there. That's not the ideal place to uh, to shad fish for them. But farther upstream, there's plenty of uh, fly fishermen going after them, and a lot of those guys are using sink tips or even sinking lines. It's a, a much bigger river, much heavier flow, and typically a lot deeper water.
1: Yeah. Do you have any just kind of general tips for shad, you know, maybe either fishing there or just around the country that you might throw out there?
0: For our shad, it's uh, it's really paying attention to the water level, uh, making sure that uh, you have the current. If you're catching crappie or bluegill or bass, you're in the wrong spot. The shad are going to be in the, the faster moving water. So if you're, uh, if you're dredging the bottom and you're catching, uh, catching speck or warmouth mouth or whatever, uh, yep. you're, you're not in the zone. Uh, keep your eyes peeled and don't discount the splashes that you see on the surface. A lot of people don't think or don't believe that they're feeding. And, you know, you could use a cane pole when it's really, really good. And uh, by the way, we call cane poles $10.00. Oh, Instead yeah? of ten cara. yeah, oh, yeah we originated ten, 10 yeah, because they only cost ten dollars. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you could use a cane pole and a short piece of line, and uh, pretty much just drop it in and and catch the shad right there next to a shore or by the boat. But mm. that's under just absolutely magical conditions. Right. Most of the time, you're going to have to be casting across the current and really treating it just like uh, like a steelhead. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you get,
1: what's that, um, you know, that take, maybe you can take us to the moment when the fish takes and, and what you're looking for or feeling or, or all that.
0: Well, with the rod tip down and it's swinging, uh, these fish are, um, a big one might be three pounds, three and a half pounds. So on a five weight rod, it's a, uh, it's a pretty dramatic pull. And then no hook set, you know, you lift, but you lift gently. They have a really paper thin mouth, mm. uh, pretty much like a crappie. And, uh, they're off to the races. They, uh, have the other nickname, uh, of being called poor man's tarpon. Right. So they do a lot of jumping, pretty exciting. And then, uh, dig down with, uh, turning sideways in the current with their body <laughs> and giving you a lot of resistance.
1: Do you, do you lose a lot of fish once you, once you hook up? Uh, not really. No, you know, it's, um, if you've got your
0: drag set and, uh, you don't horse them in, you kind of, kind of know that you're in shad mode, so you really don't put a lot of pressure on them. Mm. And, um, you know, as long as uh, – and also, I highly recommend using a barbless hook. I mean, these are Mm -hmm. not once-in-a-lifetime fish like an Atlantic salmon or something. These are – you know, if you lose one, you're going to cast again and and get another one. So it's much easier to unhook them without even – uh, touching them, just reach down with uh, a D hooker or a pair of pliers and just pull the hook out gently.
1: Why do you think more people aren't into the, the shad fishing? Why do you think they still, are? yeah?
0: Uh, there's still that mentality of they've got to keep fish. I think. Um, plus, I think that uh, um, you know they've they've got too many other distractions. We've got uh, tarpon fishing slows down in the winter, but we still have giant sea trout. Um, spawning bass are coming in we also have uh, cobia along the beaches so there's a lot of distractions Mm -hmm. there's uh, it's not just one fish at that particular time you know like being in Oregon and the steelhead move in yeah there's plenty of other things Uh, it's not a big fish so I think some people kind of look at it like uh, like it's a bait fish or something but I think you'd really be surprised as well with especially the fly fishing community they've really taken to it and we have a wonderful fly shop here in in Central Florida, in Orlando, that uh, caters to the shad fishermen, and they uh, they keep up with, you know, where they are and what's going on. So, uh, I think over the years, the more I talk about it, and a lot of my friends, uh, I think it's a it's a nice trout or steelhead kind of training fish to go oh, out yeah. and and practice on.
1: Yeah, that's, so, that's a good, a good point. I've had uh, a couple people on mention that. I think, um, uh, John McCloskey was on. He fishes up in Alaska and teaches, you know, kind of swing for trout spay and stuff like that. But he says he takes guys out in Georgia and he's a big, he's teaching people trout spay there. Just he has guys that come in that are going on his trips up to Alaska and they'll swing into Georgia to do a little pre-trip, you know, learn the cast and stuff. I love it. Yeah. And then they'll go out there. It's kind of the same thing people could do in Florida, right? Prepare for their, yeah. their, their next trip, their big trip. It's Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And now with uh, spay casting coming in, um, and being a lot more popular and it's crazy to think that it's popular here in Florida, but there's uh, a, a small core group of guys who, uh, um, every time they go out, uh, more and more people are interested in it. And, uh, I got into it a few years back and it is fantastic. I love it. It's so easy. Once you start doing that, uh, the other stuff is ridiculous. The single hand, yeah. <laughs> it's just so much easier in the right conditions. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and you guys are doing it in the boat too. You're doing like two handed spay in the, in the boat. Yeah, we are. You know, the way that
0: uh, I fish with my boat, with it pointed downstream and the huge deck, I can actually have two guys fishing off the bow of the boat at the same time, um, spay casting. So it's uh, it's really really easy, really fun.
1: And what are, you're using, like a, a lighter setup? You're saying a kind of a switch, more of a light switch setup?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm using uh, a Loomis five weight and uh, uh, not a really heavy head. And just, it's funny, you know, talking snap teas and mm-hmm. Scandy and Skagit, it, it, we kind of play around with a little of everything and then, then we get back to fishing and then stick with, um, you know, I think the snap tee is my favorite. I just mm-hmm. love that feel.
1: Yep.
0: And uh, uh, so, yeah, pretty simple tackle. Nothing, uh, we don't overthink it. You know, a lot of guys try to, try to make it more than what it is. Uh, and I'm excited for them that they have a passion to try to do, you know, a lot of different things, but uh, it's it's pretty simple stuff.
1: Huh. How, how big are the flies, like size wise and, and weight wise? Uh,
0: like fours um, and maybe even sixes. Mm-hmm. Um, so fairly good sized. Um, they're not super tiny. Uh, we've gone to really small ones to mimic more of the uh, the smaller um, bait fish. And uh, anything that has eyes on it, I think that's paramount. I think mm-hmm. they really they see that and they see the the uh, um, kind of the contrast and the uh, the profile in the water.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Nice. So that especially in that darker tannic stained water.
1: Yeah. So so you're just using a, so like a Scandi, just a simple Scandi line would be great because you're not using a lot of weight. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, any other, um, you know, tips or temperature wise or anything else to think about? You mentioned, you know, obviously water level is a key, um, anything else, any other important things to be thinking about?
0: You know, really the time of year, water levels, uh, and, and speed, the velocity is the most important thing.
1: What's the, is the velocity like a a same thing, like a a walking speed is, is what you're looking for?
0: Yeah. Uh, walking or a little faster. There's some areas. Yeah. Where it, um, especially on a compressed turn, uh, you get a, a really good, um, uh, a good velocity around the corner. They, the faster it's going, the better it is. They just, they love to have that current.
1: Do you use uh, two flies ever? Uh, I don't. Uh,
0: I know some guys do. Uh, that's just a nightmare when you start yeah. hooking two fish and right, it just, you know, then you're trying to land it and it gets caught in the net and, uh, you know, or they're, they're pretty violent, uh, fighting, even, you know, you bring them in pretty quickly. They, um, uh, um, they may sling that hook right into you. We don't need that.
1: <laughs> right. What are there any other, uh, resources that you might mention for somebody that wants to dig in more to shad fishing and, you know, either book magazine videos, anything.
0: There's a great book called, uh, the founding fish by John McPhee. Uh, it's been out for quite a few years and it talks about all the different fisheries around the country. Uh, it's a great, um, great read. There's some information in there that uh, we're starting to see might be um, a little dated, not so much locations as much as uh, just some of the theories behind, um, like our fish here in Florida. Uh, not eating, which they do eat, uh, and they don't all die afterwards.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you guys have shad out there mm-hmm. as well, don't you? In yeah.
1: yeah, we do. Yeah, and I haven't really got it's been a long time since I've been been out for them. They're um, yeah, same thing. They they don't get you know obviously with all the other species you don't hear a lot about them. It's almost like a, on the same level as carp. You know you you know they're out there, but I think they are increasing in um, popularity slowly as people realize they are pretty cool. I mean all fish are cool. You know that's that's the thing. It's uh, it's not about it's it's just about there's so many you can't do it all, or it seems like you don't have enough time to do it all.
0: That's our problem here in Florida, you know, with all the salt water, and then, uh, yeah. kind of the focus back on bass for a lot of people, oh, yeah, uh, is, is, it's the salt water, is the
1: saltwater, is the saltwater, um, you know, in Florida, I guess we were talking about flip and you think of the Joe Brooks days and stuff. I mean, is Florida still, do you have to go to the Bahamas to really get into the good, the good fishing?
0: No, no. We still got great fishing here. As a matter of yeah. fact, after the hurricane that went through the keys, more people were busy trying to, uh, get back to normalcy after the hurricane. So there wasn't a lot of pressure. So I've heard some great reports out of, uh, the lower keys as far as, uh, bone fishing. So, uh, it's still there. And I think it's probably better than it was five years ago.
1: Hmm. Nice. Well, that's good to hear.
0: Yeah. It's encouraging, isn't it? When everything else seems to be suffering from water quality issues.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we uh, before we get out of here, I just want to touch on the, the Ritz Carlton because it's it's interesting. You know, I hear about a, I'm not sure about the history of that company, um, but yeah, the fly fishing. You're you're, you're the, one of their fly casting instructors. Can you talk about that position and and um, just tell me more about the the Ritz Carlton?
0: Absolutely. So what's interesting about the Ritz Carlton is that there is a huge fly fishing tie-in to the Ritz name. Uh, Charles Ritz is the son of the founder, Caesar Ritz, of the Ritz-Carlton brand. And Charles wrote a great book called A Fly Fisher's Life. Uh, Mr. Ritz, Charles Ritz, passed away back in the 70s, and that book is just fantastic. He talks about a style of fly casting as well as uh, some leader tying, and then it's just a fascinating story. Here's a a simple guy fishing with kings, queens, and presidents, (laughs) uh and really wrote like I said just a wonderful book. But
1: um for that the area fly, is that the no area? actually
0: no he's uh, he was over in uh France and England. Oh okay. So and then he did a lot of fishing here in the United States as well. But uh uh the uh position that I have as director of fly fishing, uh we oversee or I oversee uh the uh fishing as well as the uh casting instruction on uh, on our property. We have, like I said, 11 lakes and ponds. The program started back in 2008. Uh, I came aboard four years ago. And we, uh, we're kind of the, the hidden gem on the property. Once people find us, we have uh, high drift boats that we'll go out and fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, uh, we have um, golf carts that we use driving around the property. <laughs> we have... Uh, some monster bass. Uh, our course record is fourteen pounds.
1: Jeez. <laughs> that and the course record being is a, ten. Is this like a course, like a golf, <laughs> like a golf course sort of thing?
0: It is. So we have uh, an eighteen-hole Greg Norman-designed golf course, and the water hazards are our fishing ponds.
1: No way! Is that really? That's what it is. So. Yeah. So,
0: you know, as a kid growing up in central Florida, I've been chased off of some of the best golf courses in the country, um, you know, at night sneaking in for bass. But here I am. <laughs> I'm encouraged to take people out and drive around and and share them our property. Uh, we have amazing. one lake that's a mile long and 25 feet deep. And I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Wow. I get to uh, I get to do something I love in a place that I am actually grew up fishing and hunting when I was a kid, huh. and what's really unique is the west side of the property is bounded by a creek called Shingle Creek, and Shingle Creek is the official headwaters of the Florida Everglades. Oh, wow. So it starts right here in central Florida, in Orlando, and flows about 300 miles south through the Kissimmee River Valley, and it's supposed to go into Okeechobee and then flow through the Everglades, but that's another story
1: Hmm. yeah
0: but uh terrific fishing in the creek and a lot of bass bluegill sunfish that's our primary uh, focus Mm
1: -hmm. so so, you know back to this golf course so what is that you're out there kind of dodging golf balls and stuff trying to get out (laughs) to your (laughs) How's all that work
0: uh there's enough water that uh when the golfers are out we don't have to worry about the The golf balls, Uh, if you're a fly fisherman, I highly recommend going out in the drift boat so we can row around. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. So gotcha. um, We've had some close calls, uh, it almost looks like a giant bass coming up when a guy drives a golf ball into the water off the tee box right next to you.
1: So it is that, so you are out there fishing and there are guys, you can just watch people golfing and that whole thing.
0: Sure can. Absolutely. (laughs)
1: That's awesome. So you get, if you're a golfer and a fly fisherman, I mean, that's the place to go.
0: Yeah, we call it fish and chips. So you can go fishing and then do some chip chipping around the greens, or <laughs> or uh, uh, bass and birdies, whatever That's, you want to
1: call it. That is really amazing. and do you get a lot of people? Is that is that the kind of the poll there? People are doing? Or is it kind of a? I mean, obviously it's like a private course. Is that what people do there? They do both.
0: Yeah, actually it's open to the public. Oh, is, so no? you don't have to be a guest at the resort. So we have um, both the JW Marriott as well as the Ritz Carlton hotel on the property. Both are owned by Marriott, and we have a lot of locals that come in. Uh, They'll entertain, and it's not an all-day fishing experience by any means. You know, it's a couple of hours before a meeting or before you go to work. Um, They'll come out. Maybe they'll take a lesson before they take a trip somewhere. They want to tune up on, uh, on some distance casting. We'll get a lot of people in the summer who are heading up north or west for trout, or they're heading over to the Bahamas and they want to they want to sharpen their uh, their fly casting skills. Or it's people that uh, are looking for something a little unique, a little different. We have, uh, like I said, some really big fish on property, and we've had quite a few people break their personal best records hmm. on the property. It's not shooting fish in a barrel. It's still fishing. Yeah. But uh, it's private, so. You don't have to worry about anybody else running it on top of you. And then we know where to go. We've got two other guides as well. And it's a lot of fun. We uh-huh. have a good time and it's a nice amenity to the resort as well.
1: That sounds, yeah, it sounds perfect. I think I might have to, uh, utilize my Marriott card here to maybe do a trip out your way and get some, get some golf again, a little fly fishing. But what else do you guys have there? What's, what's the Ritz? What's the whole experience experience? Like? Uh,
0: it's the, the largest Ritz Carlton in the collection. It's uh, beautiful where, uh, uh, halfway between Orlando International Airport and Disney. So you're minutes from the magic, but miles from oh, the madness. So there
1: you go. So bring the kids out, get the kids there, stop by, do some fishing, some golfing.
0: Absolutely. It's, and then take the wife to the spa. Yep. You know, she can spend all your money there while you're out catching fish. There it is. There
1: it is. All right. And, 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 well, and the, you have the alligators, which is amazing. You got that whole thing.
0: We have them out there as well. Uh, you'll see more of them, of course, in the winter because they like to sun themselves. But – I've uh, never had a problem with them uh, on the property. If, there, if there's any issues, we'll move them. Uh, it's it's not a sterile environment by any means, but uh, it's pretty well watched over.
1: Yeah, this is great. Yeah, I might have to hit you up here here this coming years to do it, get it, get some sunshine. When it's over here, it's freezing and raining and snowing and nasty. You know, come winter time over there, you guys are sitting pretty, right?
0: Dave, I'd love to have you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. It used to be I was envious of you guys six months out of the year up uh, yep. in the Northwest. Now it's almost 10 months out of the year that I'm envious of you. That's,
1: that's true. It's nice. An our answer.
0: summers seem hotter and hotter. That's yeah.
1: true. Yeah, it is getting uh, it's getting hotter here for sure and le- probably less rain, although we still get our, our share of, uh, you know, 20, 30 days in a row of rain. That, that's possible. So um well let's uh you know before we get out of here just on the chat anything else we want to talk about i mean we kind of kind of talked a little bit about the fishing anything as far as i mean flies it's pretty straightforward any other patterns anything to note here
0: it's really simple stuff i think anybody that has ever steelhead fished if they just downsize and uh and think you know smaller fish three and four pounders i think they'd fit right in and and have a great time Uh, trout fishermen if they're wet fly fishermen and they like to swing uh, this is perfect for them. We've uh, we've had some years where we've skated flies on the surface, and they'll actually come up and go after that. Uh, that's more of a novelty than a real technique that's going to be useful all the time. Uh, but I think the most important thing I'd like to leave you with is we've uh, we've got some huge issues that are coming, uh, threats to our water quality. You know, it seems to be kind of the mantra around the uh, the country and around the world, from New Zealand with the dairy. Um, interest down there and the runoff to things happening out west in alaska Uh, we have uh, major water issues both coming and going out of a house Uh, we have so many people moving here that finding drinking water is a huge problem and our state government has taken it upon itself to uh, start looking at the saint john's river as being a source of water where they would draw water out and hold it in huge reservoirs And then pull water off of that. And then the other side of it is we have the waste that's going back into our water. So we have both biosolids that are highly concentrated human waste that they take from these wastewater treatment plants and spread them out on fields and agricultural areas that uh, aren't really absorbed by any plants or, or the soil and it runs off into the ditches and uh mm-hmm. creeks and that eventually flows back into uh into the uh the river. So we've had gosh fish kills um i think our population of shad is way down. Uh, I can't tell you exactly. I mean anecdotally I can I can recognize that it's not as good as it used to be. And then we have the threats from those uh, exotic fish that we have Two in particular, both are non-native. Uh, one is an armored catfish, <laughs> and the other Jeez. is a placostomus, which uh, placo or placostomus is an algae-eating fish that a lot of aquarists, freshwater aquarists, are familiar with, uh, except ours are 18 to 20 inches long. Wow. And the ones in the aquariums are like three inches yeah. that you buy at the little pet shop. Jeez. So I think all of these are having an impact as well, eating eggs that are on the bottom. Oh, yeah. And then we have... Um, Ah, uh, the possibility of surface water being drawn in during um, the the shad run. So small fry that are on their way back down to the ocean might actually be drawn into screens. Right. So, it, you know, I hate to think that this is the good old days right now. But um, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of eye opening to see what the threats are.
1: What What would be if you gave one uh, you know somebody listening here one thing they could do to help or get involved or do something? Gosh, there must be some local conservation groups that are probably fighting, battling it a little bit. No, not at all. Oh, really? Nothing. Yeah. Out, nobody out there. Huh? Yeah.
0: Here's a the scary thing. You know, shad are, uh, are not really, uh, glamor fish. They're kind of the canary in the coal mine. If you're familiar with them, if yep. you're not. And, you know, most residents here, you know, they've lived here less than 10 years. So they have, don't even know where the St. Johns River is. You know, they're happy because it's warm, it's beautiful, you know, it's a beautiful area, but um, slowly these things are being attacked and uh, people just don't have a connection to it. That's the really hard thing, going out there and seeing how beautiful it is and then understanding what these fish are facing. And it's not just the fish. I mean, there's other things that are happening as well. We've got some huge issues with uh, uh, herbicides being sprayed around the state. Um, in the waters to control or combat both water hyacinths, which is a non-native plant, as well as hydrilla. And it's affecting other things as well, and, and washing down to the sea and creating issues there. It, I, I don't have an answer. I yeah. really don't know what to tell you. It's like... Um,
1: well, um, we'll, have to, know, just, we'll circle back maybe, you know, eventually a few years from now when somebody's listening to this episode, maybe, maybe there's, you know, some movement or change or maybe somebody can leave a comment in the you know, <laughs> somewhere to get the, the, the ball started. Because it seems it seems pretty amazing that um, you could have all these issues and there's nobody doing anything. I mean, that, that sounds just crazy.
0: Well, right now, the focus is on our coast over on the East Coast with uh, the Indian River Lagoon system. And we're so fractionated here in Florida. You know, we have offshore fishermen who really don't care about inshore. Oh, right. We have inshore guys who don't care about offshore. Yeah. We have so many new people, so much growth. Sure. You know, it's a focus. difficult. You
1: don't have a focus. Well, um, yeah. Maybe we'll before I let you get out of here. Those are all obviously huge topics and, and very important. Um, I want to leave it on a on a kind of a, a high note. Um, I've got a couple of random questions for you if you, if you have a few more minutes.
0: Yeah, sure. Go ahead.
1: Um, and the first one is, I'm in the process of uh, putting together, putting together some uh, trading cards, kind of like the basketball, you know, uh, or baseball, you know, cards. If you if you had your own trading card, what would be the highlight on that card? Wow. <laughs> and, I'll, um, and I'll give you a second to think about that because I have another another question for you. That's kind of a, a a uh, another random one for you but if somebody asked you uh, Beatles or elvis w- which one is your is your pick
0: oh wow Beatles for sure
1: there you go for sure okay good yeah. <laughs> that one's that one's always tough for me okay and um what about we were talking about gators and stuff what, what's your you know your favorite food if you had one meal you had to go with um
0: probably mexican
1: okay and yeah. you guys have a pretty solid uh, i guess down there is it pretty diverse as far as your meal options
0: oh yeah we're uh, uh, kind all- of the foodie uh, we're not uh, we're not atlanta we're not san francisco we're new york but uh we're catching up for sure. Yeah. And by the way, I love these questions. These are great. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. well, <laughs> these what are you th- really good. What do you think of this trading? This is a pretty funny thing because I'm actually thinking about maybe putting something together. If, if it's easy, a trading card. So every guest that's on the show, they'll have their own trading card. So eventually the Mark Benson uh, trading card might be out there. Is it, how, how's that sound?
0: Wow. No pressure to come <laughs> up with some uh, signature statement here. Um, you know, I, it's funny. I, uh, I like to think my highlight is I'm a fun guy to hang out with and, uh, I don't take myself too seriously
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, uh, and I like to, uh, live in the moment. I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's the big thing. You know, we're all looking for what's happening, you know, ahead of us. And too many of us, I think look behind us, but I yeah. think living in the moment, uh, people ask me what my favorite fish is to fish for. If I'm fishing, it's the fish that's right in front of me at that moment. Exactly. If I'm not fishing, the easy thing to say is New Zealand. I love fishing for brown trout, but you know, living here in Florida and really being a big fan of the shad, I I look forward to that time of year. It's a beautiful time of year, Um, and I've got friends who are world famous bill fishermen, and you know, giant offshore fishermen, and. And when the bluegill are on the beds or the shad are moving up the river, they can't leave me alone. I mean, they they want to go shad fishing because it's it's kind of like a dove hunt. It's more of a social thing. Uh, A couple of buddies out having a good time, seeing what works, what doesn't work. No pressure. And it's, like I said, a beautiful time to be on the river.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I was just thinking as you were talking there about the kind of being the moment, I, you know, another good resource or a good book is uh, a new earth, you know, Eckhart Tolle, I guess is he's the, um, and that's what his, you know, the big thing talking about being part of the moment, not looking at the future, not looking at the past, but actually focusing on the moment right now, like right now, right here, right? We're not, I mean, I know I haven't been thinking about much else other than this conversation as we've been having it. And, uh, yeah, I guess if more people thought that way, maybe that would be, that would be helpful.
0: I love it. And you know, it, what's funny is I read a book called illumination in the flatwoods. It's by, uh, a, uh, biologist named Joe Hutto and he did, uh, something really unique. He had uh, a clutch of turkeys that imprinted on him. They he actually raised them from eggs, wild turkeys, and he called it Turkey time. There was no other place that those birds wanted to be than where they were at that very moment. There you go. And there's a great movie. And I, listen, I'm a turkey hunter. Oh, I yeah. love, oh, gosh, I, I don't really hunt much of anything else now. Maybe some ducks, but uh, turkey hunting is it. That's yep. that's my thing. And uh, I absolutely love that. But anyway.
1: I, yeah. I, Going no, all
0: over the place. No, here. no, I
1: love it. I love it. We we've got some turkey hunting as well. Uh, well, maybe we'll we'll save that one for the next one. And get into a little turkey hunting and some. I mean, gosh, we got into alligator hunting, so you can't, you, you know, you can't beat that. That's that's pretty much, you know, going out on a tangent. But um, but yeah, Mark, <laughs> before I let you go, um, in the next six to twelve months, anything you want to note here? You got going either you know with you or the Ritz coming up here.
0: Uh, I actually January eleventh, twenty twenty, we're going to have our Outfitters Day where. Some of our professional partners, they come out, um, uh, Chittim Skiffs, uh, Sims, um, G. Loomis, Ross Reels. So we come out. It's a casual afternoon at the Ritz-Carlton from 12 to 5. It's a Saturday. Uh, we'll have a casting contest. We're going to throw uh, an 11-weight as far as we can. We've got some big guns coming out that uh, can launch the, uh, the long rod pretty far, the, the big line. So uh, that'll, be, uh, that'll be coming up in okay. January. Right, it's perfect. a r- real casual afternoon just come out hang out nice you don't nice. have to it's open admission and there's no fee for parking
1: cool sounds like a good it sounds like your uh, your dog maybe woke up there with squeaking his his toy there
0: did you hear that that's uh selma <laughs> lou she's uh four months old um three days ago
1: my yellow lab yellow lab oh man so she's just a little squishy pile of uh fat and beauty right well, actually, she is uh,
0: all legs. She's American oh, okay. style. She's going to be my – gosh, she's really going after that toy now. <laughs> um, she uh, she is a dynamo, so cool. a lot of fun, fun to play with.
1: All right, Mark. Well, I'll let you, I'll let you get back to it. Um, if they want to find you, markbensonoutdoors.com uh, is the best place.
0: That's correct. And, Dave, thanks again for the opportunity. Really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I had fun. We'll, we'll keep in touch with you, and definitely if I uh, get a chance to get some time here in the winter, I might swing down your way and say hi.
0: Come down. We'll put you on a big bass.
1: All right. Sounds good. We'll talk to you later. We'll see you. Have a all good right, one. Thank you. you. So, there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com Ritz. That's R I T Z. I've added some local trips that might be a little closer to your home. One, two, three day trips with guides you've heard from the show. Go to wetflyswing.com destination to find out more and to uh, get some details on upcoming trips. Uh, Just want to thank you for uh, sticking around and uh, uh, supporting the show uh, and stopping by today. I hope to maybe uh, see you uh, online or maybe catch one of these trips on the river.